you know, I'm in, in undergrad, like first week of, you know, decided to be an art student and was like going around and checking out the different studios. Like, what do I want to major in? And I walk into the print studio and people are having fun there and they're hanging out together. And it's like this whole environment of collaboration and community. Yes, yes, it's the noise, the noise, it's your boy, Jay Barber, back with you, Studio Noise, special episode today, we're celebrating Print Austin and Print Santa Fe, if you don't know, I am Jamal Barber, Atlanta artist, podcaster, professor <laughs> of the arts, and I love printmaking, I taught myself screen printing, I make large scale woodcuts, I teach printmaking at Georgia State University. And once a year, I get to go full over the edge, feet first, <laughs> print nerd right here on my show. I love just to be free and just get into all the little juicy little details about printmaking that you know we like. It's the process stuff. You know what I'm talking about? And that's thanks to good folks down there. Print Austin. What's up, Kathy and Ben? All, all the good people over there that's making it happen right now. This year's Print Expo, the big event, is February 10th through the 12th at the Blue Genie Art Bazaar. There are a ton of print shows and print events going on right now built around that. That's including the Contemporary Print Show. Juror this year by Studio Noise fam, Rashawn Rucker, my man out of Detroit. What's up, big dog? And Love Broke at the Icosa Collective Gallery curated by my girl at Lithographette on Instagram. What's up, Veronica? How you doing? Featuring Annie Bissett, Roger Shimamura, and Curly Raven Halton. That's, that's a strong show right there. That's good stuff right there. Make sure y'all go check that out. And if that's not enough print in your life, we got Print Santa Fe on the horizon too. I love it. I love it. I love it. More prints, more prints. <laughs> I can't get enough of it. And today I'm talking to printmaker Julia Kern, selected for the Print Austin and the Print Santa Fe 5x5. Uh, she's an amazing artist, tremendous work. And so we talk about her amazing mixed media work, dealing with the body and the spiritual, physical connections that she's talking about in her work. Being an adjunct professor, switching careers, and so much more. It's all about the print today. And after the break, we got that good talk for you. It's the noise, baby. Yes. This is Leslie Dugan. I'm a printmaker. I'm an artist. I'm a black woman business owner in Bedside, New York. And you're listening to Studio Noise. Yes, yeah, so it's Studio Noise. Today, we're going to be the voice of printmaking. We bring, we're bringing in people that are part of the print Austin and print Santa Fe 5x5. Five five, and we're bringing one of the artists, Julia Curran into the podcast how you doing girl i'm good how are you jamal i'm good so you can find julia at julia prints.com and on instagram at julia.s.curran uh and that's Kern c-u-r-r-a-n so everybody yes. know where to find you that's what i'm talking about how you doing I'm good. I'm a little nervous, like I told you in our pre in our pre interview, <laughs> but I'm also just so delighted to talk to you and get to know you. And it's such an honor to be on your podcast. Thank you so much for um yeah, 
for extending the invitation. No, nah, thank you. Like, thank you. I, I like to, you know, donate the, my podcast space over to printmaking because I just love printmaking so much. I'm I'm fascinated by it. And you have some really fantastic, very interesting work that, uh, <laughs> it, you know, and I've listened to your Hello Print fan interview. Shout out to Miranda over there and all that stuff they're doing over there. And so but now we're talking about you being in. I think you're in print, the Santa Fe and print Austin. Am I right? I am. I'm in both. That's amazing. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you. I, I was so pleasantly surprised. I can't believe it. Yeah. You doubled up on them. How does, how does that make you feel? <laughs> it makes me feel really good. It makes me feel really, really good. Um, yeah. It's like we were kind of talking about this a few minutes ago, but like when you apply to these different like jury shows and calls, you never really expect to get in. And so I kind of just threw my hat. My idea is always like, just get my work out in front of like a new juror. Right. You know, you never know when that's going to come around. Um, so I couldn't, you know, it was just a, a really lovely surprise to have been accepted to both. That was very exciting. That's awesome. And when they go check out your website, they, you have a, a great artist statement up there. Well, one piece I want to oh, talk about you. is the social and political phenomena in the body. Like that is a great description of <laughs> your work as I see it, because it, it's all up through there. Um, tell me, where did that kind of fascination start? Where did it come from? Sure. Um, so that's definitely from my own personal experience of being socialized, like most of us um, in the United States, being socialized to just kind of stuff down, um, you know, like any sort of like sensation in our bodies, like especially when we're feeling activated, you know, our nervous systems are feeling activated, like to just kind of like, stuff all of it down and keep going and keep being productive. And I was always, you know, I had a bad case of the perfectionisms and um, was always trying to get the best grades and be the best at everything and people please. And um, yeah, and that manifested in my body as an autoimmune disease mm. um, called ulcerative colitis starting when I was uh, a teenager. And, you know, again, I kind of just was like, you know, it's embarrassing. And especially when you're in high school to have, you know, something wrong with your intestines. And so, you know, again, just kind of like stuffing all these things down within myself um, until it was an emergency. And then actually in graduate school, that was like a big turning point for me where, you know, once again, under the stress of grad school, like that really, you know, made my perfectionism kick into high gear and like wanting to, you know, um, whatever, wanting to wanting to get approval of my teachers and of my peers and critiques were just, you know, really hard for my little brain. And um that was like a moment where all of that again started manifesting in a flare of my autoimmune disease. And that was the point where I was like, you know what, like what I'm doing is not working. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I actually started working with, you know, during that time, kind of like expanding my idea of how to take care of myself and started working with someone who's trained in traditional Chinese medicine. In addition, of course, to my gastroenterologist, um, and like someone who has like a degree in that and is not some like crazy, <laughs> you know, fascist, <laughs> like wellness influencer person, like not any of that, like weird, perverted capitalist wellness bullshit, but um, working with someone, you know, who just had like a little bit of a different perspective about the body and also like going to therapy and thinking of the emotional piece of everything. And that's when I started to really realize like how these emotional and mental experiences we have, like manifest in our bodies and that if you keep pushing things down for years and years and years as we're all socialized to do 
that eventually it becomes an emergency later mm-hmm. on down the line. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so really my work is, has always been really personal and is um, making art probably as it is for most of us artists is a way for me to sort of like process knowledge and information in a way that isn't necessarily with words. So for people that don't know or familiar with um, that particular disease you're talking about, like what are what are the symptoms and kind of what are, how bad does it get for you? Sure. Well, I've been in a really good spot, actually, for about 10 years since I've been working with, um, you know, working with a naturopathic doctor in conjunction with my gastroenterologist. who That's I good. love and yeah. trust. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've been really lucky. I've been able to sort of manage things and like know when. Um, you know, no, no, like the warning signs, like, okay, I need to maybe pull back on what I'm doing or, you know, adjust some things. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's not like, it's not like an elegant, <laughs> it's not an elegant <laughs> disease. It has to do with inflammation in the intestines and it comes in flares. It's not something that, um, uh, is necessarily permanently there. It comes in flares, um, and it can affect also not only your digestive system, but, you know, skin and, hair and teeth and gums and really like systemic inflammation so um that you know manifests itself in pain and not really being able to eat anything and blood and guts and all sorts of unlovely stuff um <laughs> that uh, that comes out in my work <laughs> <laughs> no I, I think that's great because i think that's a, a great way for us to to really realize that people are processing things like in their artwork, even if you're not like particularly known, um, knowledgeable of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like art is definitely a way that people can connect with other people, uh, visually and like putting that some stuff and dealing with it is like super important in, in order to be able to recognize that. Now, when I look at your work and um, we talked a little bit before, but, um, in the print, um, friends interview, you use the word aggressive. I would say the same thing about some of the in, uh, images in particular, where the body is like really distorted, like things are like really coming out, like, uh, you know, <laughs> like you're really like <laughs> chewing on stuff and like volcanoes and all like all kinds of stuff is happening. <laughs> and so uh, talk, talk, tell me about that. Like, does that come from the experience of dealing with the disease or or was that kind of you had the experience and then you had to ratchet up like to get people to understand? Does that make sense? Does the question make sense? Yeah, I think so. So it's not necessarily like all about my own personal experience. I definitely made some pretty bad work about my personal experience <laughs> right out of grad school like, and kind of like made some really not very good collages and not very good prints and, you know, kind of like got got that over with. Um, and so the work that I'm making now is not necessarily like processing these these super personal experiences, but kind of thinking about like, the way that uh, we're socialized to think about the body mm-hmm. and um, versus like the reality of our fleshy, tender, vulnerable, ab- sometimes abject bodies. And then like, and, 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 and how there's like a lot of shame attached to that. And then how we can, you know, find that shame and kind of like dig into it a little bit more. <laughs> and so you mentioned a piece um, where there's volcanoes. And so that one, um, actually, I don't want to go off on too big of a tangent. No, um, go for it. We, we own it. We own it now. We, we, we talk. Okay. All right. We're on it. Let's go on the right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's part of a series I've been working on for about the past year um, where I'm actually making these collage paintings 
Um, and this one's a triptych. Uh, it has like doors that open and close. And um, it's a smaller one. The ones, the other ones I've made in this series are a lot larger. This one's maybe like 16 by 20 something when it's open. And um, it has these characters um, that I've been calling uh, Mother Nature Monsters. And what I'm trying to do is like, I've been thinking of like how we personify nature as a mother. And there's actually um, a pretty good article in Hyperallergic uh, from November about a show called called I'm Not Your Mother. It was a group show at a gallery in New York, um, kind of talking about the same thing. So I was excited to see that other people are, you know, thinking about this and making work about it. You know, but we like personify nature as as a mother, you mm -hmm. know, and as a woman mm -hmm. and almost like as this benign, um, exploitable resource, you know, mm -hmm. and we take and we take and we take. Um, and in white supremacist capitalism, we take and take and take from everyone who's not a white man. Um, and also we take and take and take from white men, too. But anyway, that's like a whole other conversation. But I'm thinking of like how we personify um, you know, nature and and like that how that allows us to um uh more like easily exploit nature. And so I'm thinking of Mother Nature, but instead of making her like this, you know, beautiful, you know, benign mother-like creature, um, more of like a not benign, kind of mischievous, um, abject you know, weird underground monster that um, is fully, you know, like the body is consuming and also expelling. And so this particular piece, um, it's a, it's one of these figures who lives underground, who's drinking a lake and then um, peeing it out as lava that's going into <laughs> these volcanoes on either side that are, you know, that are exploding. Um, obviously, you hear me laughing. So, you know, having fun in my work and joking is also, is also a big part of this. Yeah, and and these have some some really great names too. <laughs> like, <laughs> like tremendous tremendous thought uh, being put into it. And so, tell me a little bit about like um how much your sense of humor and this kind of subversive nature of some kind of the, of the images and stuff that you put into it. How much that plays in how you're thinking about your concepts and stuff like that. Huge part of it. Um, I mean, my. <sighs> how did I, how do I want to say this? But like the way that I am finally getting to a place where like, I feel like things are kind of like opening up for me a little bit, you know, in my practice um, in a way that feels really good. And I know I'm going in the right direction and I know that I'm there because I'm having a good time. And I kind of like, I'm not making work for like, okay, I'm going to like try to get famous or like try to get this in a show or try to whatever, get like approval from whoever. Um, that it's good work. And instead, I found a place where like, I can, you know, be thinking about something, and then have kind of a wacky idea that maybe makes me laugh a little bit. And then I can do like a quick sketch in my sketchbook, um, and then flesh it out. And when I'm in that moment, like kind of fleshing out this idea, I am um, having a ball, like, I am having a good time. I'm in my studio. I'm just giggling away myself. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, and yeah, and so it's, you know, I think humor too can be a way to kind of process things and, uh, and make connections. So yeah, I guess that's, I don't know if that answered that question. Oh, no, no, that, that, that absolutely answered the question. I wanted one of the titles I want to mention memento more for evil men parentheses. Mm -hmm. One day you will die. <laughs> one day you two will die. <laughs> she will eat you then shit out your bones. Yeah, <laughs> this is a great title. <laughs> this is world class. There's world class stuff we got going on right now. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah. It, so that piece, um, it's 
it's actually it exists in two forms and so it's um uh it is a collage painting it's like a triptych that has these doors that open and there's a center panel and two side panels as well as an exterior and then it also exists as a screen print and so just visually to kind of walk viewers through that it's um it's an image most of it's underground it's kind of like a cross section of underground and you see this giant uh blue monster figure and you can see um uh like some anatomical parts you can see like you know a digestive system as well as some bones and then you see a casket and there's like a, a steady stream of like little people that this figure is <laughs> eating out of you know this this casket um and they're going through her digestive system and they're kind of being broken down through the digestive system and being shut out as bones <laughs> <laughs> and then on the left side you see and also in the panel there's like a lot of these um little seedlings of plants that are sprouting from the figure um on the left side there's a panel of like a seedling that's um sort of enveloped the skull and there's a red baseball cap that is reminiscent of a maga hat that's being crushed by the seedling um and on the right side there's like a um, zoomed in anatomical view of a digestive system with little people going through it as well as some seedlings wrapped around things yeah, it's a lot going on in this one. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> no one's ever accused me of being a <laughs> <laughs> No, it's tremendous. Uh, so when you conceive of this idea, does it did it was it conceived as a print first or was it uh or did it kind of end up in both forms? I do the same thing in, in terms of making prints and then it changes into mixed media stuff. And so I'm interested oh, to see awesome. how you how do you begin? Yeah, that it kind of changes. This one, um, so there's uh there's like a red border around everything around the three panels that is um a screen print that's actually a cmyk screen print of like a giant beef tongue um a photo that i manipulated on photoshop and then printed out and then hand printed as cmyk um and i used that as a background for another print but i just liked it and so i printed a bunch of it on extra paper knowing that i would do something with it um so there's that aspect but then the image itself started out as I guess it started as a painting, but then while I was making the painting, I made it also into a screen print, like an image of the central panel. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so sometimes I'll make prints first and then I'll cut back into like my artist proofs or whatever didn't make it into the edition and then collage it back into work. And then other times I'll make a painting first and then almost like has been done traditionally and you know, in the history of printmaking, make a print after yeah. the original painting. Right, right. Yeah, and that's just like thinking of different price points and having something that's like a print might be more accessible for people than than a painting. And so you have that piece and you have a piece like Spring Fingers. Um, and a lot of these are taking place underground. What's the metaphor or the significance of the figures being completely like in the in the earth um, as you're telling these narratives? Sure. So I'm thinking of like cycles of life and death and life and thinking of um I feel like I'm seeing this pop up in like a lot of other artists work as well. Um, I'm particularly thinking of an artist I recently learned about, um, Kate Klingbell, who does all these like really beautiful um, underground scenes in her work. Uh, but yeah, I'm thinking of like scenes, cycles of life and death and life. Um, because I think we're at a moment, you know, like we're kind of still experiencing this collective trauma of of the pandemic um and aren't really sure what <laughs> you know what i don't really think we'll know how that's affected us for a long time but um thinking of like what do we need to let die and then what can be reborn from what we let die 
um, metaphorically, you know, like as as a society and as a culture, um, and also like within ourselves, you know, what what parts of ourselves can we maybe let go of um, that then can be turned into, you know, like a fertile mulch that we can take personal growth from or um, yeah, what what new magic can we grow from what we let die? I like that idea. And I, I've, I've been exploring that, too. And I know a lot of other people are, too, how people work has changed coming out of the pandemic. Uh, yeah. But more more like unconsciously, like in terms of like the things that they're focusing on. I'm, I know mine was particularly conscious. I make a lot of work about black identity and social commentary. And mm-hmm. during the pandemic, when I'm when you not interacting with the public and it becomes more of just you at your house uh, trying to stay safe from this invisible menace that's coming to get you. Like so my work shifted a lot to uh, just issues of family and relationships and belonging and like hope and the stuff that I never talked about before because I was so preoccupied with um, this kind of social outrage. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so like mm-hmm. and so that social outrage was a big part of what I was doing. It made my work powerful, but it also made me forget the the core essence of why I was making such um, direct work was because of my fear that was coming down from this outside threat, which then is the white supremacist system, as you describe it. Mm-hmm. But now it's because I'm so scared because I love my family so much. And so I focus more on the love part of it now coming out of it. And my work has completely shifted. And it's almost really hard for me to go back to like what I was making before the pandemic. And so, yeah, well, you're a different person. Exactly. So I think you're absolutely right in terms of like, we don't really know um, how how this has affected all of us just yet, you know, because even the idea of like how many people we lost um, to lose so many people at at around like within a span of a year, it it affected me a lot. <laughs> so I, did, I know it was affected. Do you mind like, me asking? Did you did you lose a lot of loved ones during the pandemic? I I lost um I lost a few. I lost a, a really so a really good mentor uh, friend for our brother of mine, George Knock. He was a sculptor. He was tremendous, a tremendous human being, and it just you know popped up on Facebook and George had passed, and so it was, it's. You know, it's a shock. You you would think that we had we had been in a pandemic for a while. I lost um my wife's. I hate to get into all this, but <laughs> but I lost my wife's uh, grandfather. Lost his wife and and her sister in the very beginning oh of the pandemic, and then for us to go through the pandemic, and then I lose George. It just feels like it was never stopping. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's and just, it's um, so it's so senseless and so preventable. Of course, too, like. especially like especially like i can see what you're saying like 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 a year into the pandemic or like so however long into the pandemic it's like why why are the collective decisions we we make like why why is this still happening exactly you know so many deaths could have been prevented it's disgusting exactly so what was your i'm so sorry oh you know we we, we're dealing with it uh what was your pandemic experience um well, we um, we were very lucky in that in that we did not lose anybody close. Um, we did, you know, lose like some family of family and um, and friends of friends. Um, and you know, we 
are privileged enough. My husband and I, we, you know, at the, at the time we're living in St. Louis, Missouri, which is where I'm from now we're in Los Angeles, you know, and we owned our home in St. Louis. And so we had like a safe place to shelter. Um, and I was able to switch, you know, to teaching full-time or not, I'm sorry, not teaching full-time. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that later, but teaching is an adjunct, but like te teaching of like more than a full-time load, but still is like a technically part-time contract worker mm -hmm. anyway. Um, so I, you know, we were, we were fine. Like we made it, um, definitely, um, one of the major shifts that we noticed was just like, like my husband did experience unemployment for two years because he works in the music industry and uh, oh, yeah. a touring audio engineer. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I know like, like, you know, working through that alongside him and, and watching him go through that, like that is still pretty hard. Like figuring out, you know, like how does that affect your identity? You know, when you, when you go, when you lose your job, for instance, and like that happened to so many people, um, and so, yeah, you know, like, again, we were very privileged and, you know, we're lucky and we're able to, you know, to stay physically safe. Um, during this time is also when uh, I decided to go back to school and kind of reject um, being a forever adjunct <laughs> or applying to so many full-time jobs and never getting a call back. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. And so I actually decided to go back to school um, to get a master's in social work to become a therapist. Um, and so that felt like, you know, like a really positive thing that, that came from, uh, from that experience, kind of being able to, you know, take a step back from things and sort of reevaluate, you know, what I wanted to do and, and what I wanted my life to look like. I love, I love that for you. Like that you, that you. you had an opportunity to, to find that passion, uh, to make, to make the turn. Cause we, and, you know, one out of all the stuff from the pandemic, the one thing that is grateful is that and it did give you a moment to pause. And like really reevaluate and see by the time we got to start back up again, you get to think about like, what do you actually want to do <laughs> mm -hmm. instead of just like being in this system that you were talking about adjuncting. Uh, go and ahead. when everything's so precarious too, like exactly. when everything, when you're like, oh shit, like everything. And I mean, obviously we, you know, like with having, you know, like the rise of fascism, you know, in the United States and around the world, like you know, and like distrust in institutions and all these different things, like everything that we felt like we could maybe rely on, um, or at least we pretended like we felt we could rely on, <laughs> you know, it's, and some people obviously could rely on them more than others. And, and, and it's like, all of these things are sort of like crumbling before our eyes. Um, and so like learning to sit with precarity and then like find ways to maybe eliminate some of that precarity. And so that's where like the shifting away from adjuncting, because that's like, you know, that's part of precarious labor. Oh um, yeah. 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 I'm glad I'm able to do that. Oh no, nah, I'm, I love it too. Cause, cause we uh, talk a little bit about like this adjuncting, right? I don't think people realize like, like what's going on in these institutions sometimes is that you can like, now I'm a visiting lecturer at Georgia state. And so I, you know, mm -hmm. two year contract, I'm not all the way considered a full professor, uh, but you know, mm -hmm. I got to teach my load of classes and whatnot. Uh, if I was to continue right over, right after this, my two years is up this semester, um, I would have to go back into adjuncting, which is doing the same amount of work for like half the pay, half the pay, yeah. like in order to, and I wasn't even, I'm still not paid at the rate of a full professor as a visiting mm -hmm. lecturer. And so even though you have all the qualifications, yeah. I know that you're an excellent professor and you deserve a full-time position. And and talk about that, like in, in terms of like how'd you got into the system and, and how'd you feel like dealing with it? 
<laughs> if that makes sense. Um, I'm furious. <laughs> That's why I'm leaving. Um, yeah. So I didn't have any illusions. Like, I went to grad school because, well, I went, I, that's a whole other story, but like I went to grad school because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And, um, and I'm so glad I did it. I got to work with Ryan O'Malley. It was amazing. I met so many great people. It shout was out also to Ryan. Like, yeah, shout out to Ryan. Yeah. Oh my God. Hello, Ryan O'Malley. Everyone loves you. Um, it was also really difficult. But anyway, um, so like going into grad school, I didn't have any illusions of like, I'm going to go to grad school and get a full-time teaching position. So I didn't have any um, illusions of, of getting like a full-time teaching position and then having like this stable job the rest of my life. But, but I still was like, maybe there's a chance, you know, maybe there's a chance I could do this. I, you know, saw a lot of other people that I know who are successful artists and printmakers who have this, this teaching job. And I also love teaching. Like I love, I am like, a people person. I'm an extrovert. I love to perform. And so teaching is kind of like, you know, a little bit of a performance. Yeah. Um, I love able to help students and, and, and making a difference in their lives. And, um, yeah, so it's something I really love. Um, I, you know, got into it thinking like, well, maybe this will lead to something else. Um, and I had really great experiences doing it. I worked at a couple different universities in St. Louis. I have had just the most lovely, amazing students. And I'm actually still teaching a couple of classes um, online. <clears throat> and I, I do really love my students and I love the act of teaching. But there's been multiple times where, you know, the university, the department will tell me like, oh man, you're one of our best professors. Like the students love you. You're doing such a great job. Um, here's this full-time job we're opening up. You should apply for it. And it's like that happened multiple times. I'm like, oh yes, maybe this is going to finally happen for me. And then of course, like I don't even get an interview because <laughs> <laughs> why would they, oh. you know, why would they pay me more money if they already have me there? Right. Um, and so, you know, that part, like it doesn't feel good to be taken advantage of. And of course, like that's not on, you know, like any of my department chairs or like fellow professors, you know, that's like, I know that if they could pay us more, they would, but um, it's just like the whole system. And so after a while, it makes you feel like, man, I'm teaching six classes a semester and I'm still hardly making any money. And I'm like exhausted and I'm not having like enough time in the studio because I'm running around town teaching so many classes. Like, why am I doing this? This is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, for me, like this shift to, to becoming a therapist feels like it's not a huge jump because I feel like half of my job as an educator, especially as an art educator. I mean, like, you know, again, we were talking about how art is this great way for, you know, for, for us to like kind of process information about the world and about ourselves. That's not necessarily using language. And so a lot, you know, students are really, you know, doing some deep work, you know, in their, in their art. And so half of my job as an educator is like, empowering students to be able to do that, helping them, you know, kind of work through some of that. And then also, you know, you see when a student doesn't show up for class, like, you know, most of the time it's not because they don't care, it's because something's going on. And so half the time I'm running around chasing down students like, hey, you know, you haven't been here for the past week, what's going on? And then you find out that they're really going through something. And so, you know, I'm always referring students to therapy and academic resources center. And I just realized like, I'm just going to cut out the middleman. Like I'm going to stop, <laughs> stop being the middleman. I'll be the therapist. Be the yeah. therapist. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I can work for myself and, you know, and, and like have that connection with people and have that relationship 
you know, that has to do with sort of, you know, healing um, and empowering people, but also work for myself and not have to work for any institution or anybody else ever again. Hey everybody, this is Chloe Alexander, printmaker from Atlanta, and you are listening to Studio Noise. Are you considering it as an addendum to your art practice or as like a supplement? Yes. I feel like it's an addendum to my art practice. Thank you for saying it that way. Because again, like I feel like like I feel like art can be like like if you're if you're taking advantage of it fully like art can be like this deep spiritual practice you know where you're again like you're kind of figuring out like what you think about things and how you feel about things and how you feel about the world and it can be really transformative and it can be this place that we like let our guard down and we can get really personal and we can you know without getting really personal <laughs> it can be like this safe place to be really vulnerable and so I really feel like, you know, being an educator is an extension of that as well as, you know, my work as a therapist as well. No, I I completely agree with that because I I think that's what I fell in love with in terms of teaching too, is the the interactions with the kids, um, seeing them like grow, like being able to to teach them the one thing that they need to kind of make the light bulb go off and then they Mm -hmm. can go off and do like really what they really want to do. Because most of the time when we're in class, like, this is not what you really want to do. Like, I know, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm teaching, you know, drawing one and drawing a bunch of vases and and towels and boxes. It's like, no, like, we're not here to draw boxes. Like, right. <laughs> like, you're, <laughs> like you're here because you hopefully you got something you want to say. Well, not everybody, but, you know, the one person that does have something to say, like, I want to be able to to say something that lingers in their mind that'll help them connect it when they need it. And, you know, exactly. be there for them, like all that type of stuff. And so I, I like to I love teach that. drawing. I like to teach drawing one from like a perspective of like, and I don't mean to sound corny, but like mindfulness and like, <laughs> being, like I know that's like a really overused word, but like, but seriously, like being present in the moment and like, let it like telling your ego to be quiet because your ego is like, Hey, I know how to draw that, whatever. I know how to draw that vase. And then your ego tries to draw a vase and it doesn't look like a vase. And if you just like tell your brain, like, Hey, like, you know, this is not an emergency. We can, we can just sit here and have a look at this vase and see what we see and just like practice that observation and then like connect your hand to your eyeballs and your brain. Like then you can start actually learning how to draw. So if you approach it from that way and is like, I always tell students like, Hey, no one's trying to be Rembrandt here. Like, and we're also not saving any lives. So like, let's just have fun and try to draw. Like that offers people some space to maybe like let go a little bit and be a little vulnerable and, um, you know, maybe turn their brain off for a couple hours while they're hanging out and listening to music and drawing vases. Oh yeah. See now that's, that's my approach in my life drawing class. Like when I Ooh, come nice. in, it's like, Hey, we got professional models here. Like, unless you know, a professional model is just going to post up in your dorm room for you for two and a half hours. Like this is a unique moment. So let's just be here. Mm-hmm. Let's just listen to music. And a lot of the uh, relationships that you think about, um, come from like observation that you already had not not necessarily what you are thinking about right now anyway so it's like an an intuitive understanding of 
how you move because you move like thinking you think about your body when you look at somebody else's body. So it's a reflective Mm -hmm. thing. So the more you can, like you say, shut off all the noise and just be there in that moment. Think about what you're doing and just let it flow. And you make much better human renderings of human bodies when you do let it go and like just go intuitive and just like feel it. Um, I tell them and they get sick of sick of me saying it, <laughs> but drawing the body yeah. is about is about what you know, what you see and what you feel. And so part of yes. it is like you got to get to the feeling. A lot of people never get to the they never get to the seeing in the first place. They get to knowing. And so all, everybody always starts with those idealized bodies, <laughs> you know, no matter yeah, yeah. Even if it's an old man sitting in front of them, they still got broad shoulders, you know, cause it's like, that's yeah. what people, <laughs> that's what, that's what people look like. But you know, you gotta, you gotta get them to break that's through dollar that. dollar an anime character. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So when like in your pieces, when you consider the form in your pieces, like, like I'm thinking about your woodcut called mother, which I really love um, with, uh, I guess it's like, it was a cat with the tail wrapped around them or, or what? Yeah. What is that? <laughs> Clarify yeah. for me. What is that before we keep going? <laughs> <laughs> um, that is, let me actually pull it out of my printer and have a look at it while we're talking. Um, yeah. So that's, um, that is actually, so, so I'm not going to lie. This is actually very much inspired by a piece by um that i saw at a museum in paris um it's the outside art museum uh by momacle and it's um the artist that i saw was i think their name is sava sakulich or something i think i'm saying the last name wrong i'll text that to you later but either way um this really this really wild painting i saw of like hands being connected to legs being connected to toes um, and so I thought that was really fun and started drawing, you know, drawing kind of like these connected forms in my um, sketchbook. And um, yeah, and was thinking, of, you know, I like to kind of like incorporate some celestial bodies into there. So I kind of made the hair look like a half moon. Um, and uh, yeah, and and there's a cat that is, <laughs> that is, um, suckling on one of the breasts and then uh this tail is wrapped around the figures like yeah I, I like this image a lot and even when we talk about um just to reference the figure drawing again just to how we understand figures like you have to understand the figure in order to distort it and so this is a very interesting way of distorting it reminds me of when uh, i took a birth natural birthing class with my wife and he talked about um, squatting as a natural position for like babes to come yeah. out. Like that was, it reminds me of that, uh, how she was supposed to sit in the pool <laughs> when we was having oh, the baby. that's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that, but I love that connection. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Nah, it's very interesting, you know, and interesting wood marks too. Like how often do you do wood blocks compared to screen prints? Um, I like to combine the two sometimes. Um, I have to say that I really like color and I really like the quickness and versatility of screen prints. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I do more screen prints than woodcuts, but I also just moved to LA last year and don't have a place to do screen prints. And so now I'm doing more woodcuts. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, any LA listeners, give me a call if you have a screen print shop. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's funny. That's the first thing I do when I, whenever I go places is see, like, I wonder if there's a community print shop around here somewhere. <laughs> so I could go see what Found people are doing. one that's, like, close and affordable. Um, 
but, uh, but yeah, you know, I'm working on it, I'm doing some <laughs> visiting artist gigs coming up and I'm definitely going to take advantage of those to, to, to do lots of print processes that I can't do in my home studio. Yeah, absolutely. What, what kind of process would you like to do in your studio? Perfect setup. If you had your perfect setup, what would it be? Oh my God, I want everything. Um, my perfect <laughs> setup. I really, so I just want to learn so many things. I really want to take some ceramics classes. I know this is like way beyond the question that you asked. Oh, me, no, I love I would, this. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> I really want to learn ceramics. I took ceramics in um, grad school, but just like a summer course. And it was actually with um, one of ceramics professors, Greg Ruder, and then also Ryan O'Malley. It was like a ceramics and print class. And oh my God, it was so much fun and so fun. It was to, ceramics and to, print? Yes, it was just totally experimental. We were like making different ceramics pieces and then like figuring out ways to like screen prints. Uh, is it called? I don't know how to talk about ceramics, but like slip or whatever that is <laughs> yeah. um, onto them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like uh, impressing like woodcuts into ceramic pieces and everything I made was really bad, but it was very, very fun. <laughs> um, so I would love to have like a space. I think that I think I'm just going to like sign up for a class in town really want to do ceramics. Um, I really want to learn how to work with different fibers. I know nothing about working with textiles, but I really, really love textiles. So I'd love to like have a, have some space where I could play with that a little bit. Um, and I also would love, here's, this is like a call out to like any printmakers who are listening to this podcast, who are really good at lithography and or etching and want to invite me and like walk me through that a little more <laughs> because um, <laughs> that's something, I mean, I, you know, I've definitely made etchings and, and lithographs, but um, it's not something that I yeah. uh, do very often and would love to um, explore those two uh, techniques a little more. No, but yeah, awesome. so basically my ideal studio is like, I want everything and I also want to take a bunch of classes and, um, yeah, because I really love working with different media. So any sort of mixed media setup is so you, definitely what you, I'm all about. You basically want a public university art system all in your basement. Me, Jamal, I yes. want it all for me. I love it. Basement. I love it. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we, that's what we need. <laughs> Nah, that's great, yo. And I, I love to hear um, when I talk to printmakers a lot. Um, the crossover in medium is is pretty um, normal for printmakers. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't see. I, well, I do know printmakers that just primarily do like hardcore editioning, like all the time. Like you know, I gotta make these prints, gotta number them, they gotta be perfect, that kind of thing. But I, I've met, and maybe just because of that's how I am, a lot of printmakers that are also trying to take their prints into installation and into like photography. They're doing, you know, so many, so many other processes when they do it. Do you think that's because like printmaking is so process oriented? And um, I know Ryan, I listened to his uh, episode on your podcast and I can't remember the exact words he was using, but he was talking about, um, uh, he was talking about like, 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 like focusing and perfecting your craft. Um, do you think that, printmaking lends itself to mixed media because of that like the focus on craft i think so and i think i think it's because you end up making materials like so like just in one print mm. process there's so many materials that come out of it you know yeah, even when you're doing a true. wood block you have the wood block you have the the wood shavings you have the actual print you have the test prints you have so many other things and then you can end up making patterns and then you know next thing you know you get curious and you print on a canvas and then you know, it just keeps growing from there. But it is the idea that 
like the whatever the thing that you're doing is not the thing that you're trying to make in the first place because there's so many steps in between. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. There's like so many materials that come out of the process. And then of course, as artists, we're going to be like, hey, what else can I, you know, what else can I do with all of this? <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, you end up with all this stuff. Like, you know, I have a whole shelf full of wood blocks. I got to do something with them. I can't just let them sit here and rot. Like, that would be like what a are you, waste. What are you doing with your whole shelf of wood blocks? I end up making them into installation pieces. Like I started getting into making these like wood constructions. Like I'm not sure like how great they are, but <laughs> but but they <laughs> but kinda, are you having a good time? Yeah, I'm having a great time. Like I, I'm aggravating awesome. them, and they and they end up speaking to other processes, other I mean I'm not other process, other concepts, uh, other than what I intended it in the first place. But like because the material is there, it's just like making collage, right? Where it's like it, I I didn't take the picture, but then that I see the picture, I know I can rip it and make it say something else. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm -hmm. it feels like that kind of thing with all my wood blocks. That's awesome. And so I'm yeah. looking on your website now and looking at, um, looking at your paintings. They're like so beautiful and colorful. And I love the way that you render the figure and your wood blocks and like all the different texture. Yeah. It's really gorgeous. Yeah. And has anybody told you that you paint like a printmaker? <laughs> um, I'm glad you picked up on that because I don't know what I'm doing when I'm painting. Um, and I'm literally like, I find myself layering color as if I'm like doing a screen print. And so I'm trying to like break out of that habit and get a little better at like blending. And I'm working like, I haven't made anything that I've like put out in the world, but I'm kind of playing in my studio with different, uh, like with oils and like teaching myself how to glaze and do things like that. But yeah, the way I think of color is so informed by by print and by layering. Yeah. And by, and by mark making, I have the same thing about, um, you know, all my drawings are because I've been doing so many woodcuts is about the marks. And so mm -hmm. I don't necessarily like, even when you're saying like, you want to learn how to blend. I don't know if I want to learn how to blend. Cause I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I, I, I don't think that would be the first thing I think of. Do you know what I mean? Like I, like I, I, I would, I can see the figure more broken down into marks and planes than I can in like gradients and blends and glazes. Like it just feels like a whole different world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So you're not comfortable with your painting yet? No, I mean, I'm comfortable with it. I'm kind of kidding, but, um, but I do want to get, I, I don't know. Like I do want to learn, uh, you know, different, different painting techniques and, you know, when you learn something, you can kind of take it in whatever direction you want to. Yeah. Um, sure. There's definitely more recent paintings. Like I'm looking at one now that's, you know, kind of like the painting's like a little more textured and lumpy than I wish it was, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and that's because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and yeah, Look, I'm still having fun with it. I'm having fun with it. I nice. still like what I make. No, that's awesome. Every I'm... piece is like, every piece is like a learning, you know, is you learn something you're like, Oh, okay, cool. Like next time I'm going to do it this way when I, you know, try right. this in technique or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 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 When, when you think about the piece, the thousands, tell me about this piece. Yeah. So this summer, um, I did a residency at, uh, the Gentile foundation, which is in, um, Banner, Wyoming, which is in the middle of nowhere. And we didn't even have internet or cell phone service, which was kind of great. Um, and on the property is, so it's like, 
it's amazing. If anybody um, is looking for residencies to do, uh, Gentel is like such an amazing place. It's it's a really, really, really great experience. Say, um, say that name again for people. Sure. Sorry. It's Gentel. That's J-E-N-T-E-L. Um, it's, it's really, really a wonderful residency run by wonderful people. And there's also another one in the same uh, part of Wyoming called Tongue River Residency. Um, and also, again, run by absolutely lovely people um, and a really great experience. And I got to do both of those in the past couple of years. That's awesome. And thank you. Thank you. And so this piece is actually, um, it is just, it's an acrylic painting on canvas, which I have not really worked on canvas before. Um, and so it is an image of like these two, again, kind of playing with this like mother nature monster figure. These are definitely less aggressive they're not eating anybody they're not <laughs> it's like these two um kind of like these two old women um and then half of them are above ground and like kind of larger than life this landscape of hills and mountains and then half of them their pelvises um which are bones are below ground and um their hair is kind of fading into the sky um and they have their arms around each other and uh this piece was definitely inspired by uh gosh we had such a wonderful time so i was there with five other people there were um four visual artists including myself and then two writers and you know we're out in the middle of nowhere and like you could see like the entire milky way in the sky so we would all go on like hikes together and like we would make dinner together every night and like then go outside and just kind of like look at the stars. Um, we did a couple of um, hikes like to watch the sunset and to watch the sunrise um, and uh, the name of it. And then the landscape in this picture are actually from uh, the Gentile property. There's um, like these, there's like this massive expanse of these hills behind the house that are called the thousands. And so we were just up hiking in there every day. Um, and really, yeah, just like it's, it was just this really lovely experience with just wonderful, lovely people. Um, and so this is sort of an homage to to that. Nah, and actually, a... one of my fellow residents wrote a poem and like she, she had this really wild experience where um, she had a dream and like the image of my painting was very disturbing to her and it was like in her dream and then she like woke up <laughs> like in a fever and like wrote this poem and like kind of about my painting and it was <laughs> it was really awesome oh, Jody Vincent, she's a really lovely writer oh, that's great <laughs> i love that i love that yeah yeah these, these yeah. residencies yeah you know man we really got to make a, a list for these residencies yo for people can like uh get a hold of as you know i feel like i hear about these residencies and then like every year you missed the deadline because you're not paying no attention and looking for it. Um, but we got to look out what for this I've kind found of with residencies. Yeah. Looking out for it. And then also like the residencies that I've gotten into friends have done. Cause a lot of residencies mm. like pro tip for everyone who's, you know, just getting started. Like if you're applying for a residency, if you know someone who has already done it and then they can put in a good word for you, just, you know, just be like, Hey, this person's like solid, like right. they're, you know, respectful and nice. Like you have a better chance of getting it. So the residencies that I've done have definitely been like friends who are like, Hey, you should apply for this and, you know, let me know and I'll, you know, put in a good word for you. Oh, that's awesome. Maybe that's nepotism. Maybe it's just helping your friends <laughs> out. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't gotten any like crazy residencies. So. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a fine line between networking and nepotism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great, yo. So, so do you feel like you have a a wide network of people in the printmaking community? Because you you, you mentioned, a, you mentioned a lot of names, printing. yeah. 
I love being a printmaker is because of the community. It's, I mean, I've told this story on um, Hello Print Friend as well, but like, you know, I'm in, in undergrad, like first week of, you know, decided to be an art student and was like going around and checking out the different studios, like what do I want to major in? Um, and I walk into the print studio and people are having fun there and they're hanging out together. And it's like this whole environment of collaboration and community, you know, and that's that, of course, can be found in other disciplines as well. But like printmaking really lends itself to that because of the nature of the, you know, of working on a press and all of the equipment that's necessary. And just like, you know, like lithos, you need someone to sponge for you while you're doing that. And yeah. You're just printing. It's, yeah. Ryan O'Malley always said that printmaking is a team sport, um, which, <laughs> which I think is really fun. And yeah, I mean, I've met so many wonderful people in the print community and like, have made so many friends um yeah it's like that's that's why i love doing this and why i love being a part of it is because of this awesome community of people that that printmaking fosters absolutely and it makes me think about um when i found atlanta printmaker studio down here <clears throat> yes me. tell I'm, me about that no i, I love it like it was, it was kind of like you know it's one thing to make when paint when you're painting I pick on my oil painters that take my printmaking class all the time when they have little oil painter hands with little <laughs> black gloves and everything is so delicate. I can't stand it. They come in there, they try to be all nice and smooth with the ink. It's like, come on, yo, what are you doing? But anyway, anyway, so I, I, it's something about like when I walk into like the studio space and it's like, yeah, I can be in there in there printing a woodcut and then the next person on the letterpress is making wedding invitations for her daughter and the next person in there is coming just to print some t-shirts or a quick spider-man like silk screen or something like it like it's, it's wild stuff and like you meet so many different people and we all like have to use the same machines because we can't afford to put a fifteen thousand dollar press in our living room right <laughs> like right, like none right. of us could do that so it's like you know we band together and we kind of make stuff happen community printmaker um the community studio there is a is is a wonderful spot and so like a lot of even the founder members still come and print like after the you know, APS has been here for like 13 years like 13 years later they're still together hanging out we know they know my kids you know what I'm saying we have lunch wow. together like you know we give each other jobs and shows and opportunities like it is like this big community where we can all like get together and support each other it's really fascinating that's amazing that's amazing i would love to come and see Atlanta Printmaker Studio. Oh, yeah. It sounds you, lovely. Oh, you have a permanent invite, especially this new oh, space. The new you. space is fantastic. You got to come. I got to. Awesome. So yeah. you just opened the new space recently, right? Yeah, that's right. So the new space is grand opening is tomorrow, actually. I don't know when people. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Yeah. So yeah, so it's been a long time in the making, but we the city of Hateville um got a grant um from the hotel tax to build a brand new print studio, like one point whatever million however they put into it but it's it's uh when we get into it and start working it's really going to be something and hopefully it'll be kind of a place where everybody can come and kind of get a little bit of that print magic on the on their shirt you know <laughs> and come amazing. back amazing oh congratulations yeah it's, it's fantastic yo it's fantastic but before we get out of here tell me about this spring break art fair yes yeah so um i'm really excited we were talking about um in the beginning before we started recording um i I'm just absolutely thrilled. Um, a friend of mine who's a really wonderful um, painter and sculptor named Melissa Vogley Woods, I met her this summer at another residency called Wasaic. 
um, she and I, we just had so much fun together this summer that we were like, you know what, let's put in a proposal for spring break. And spring break is um, an artist run art fair that happens in New York and Los Angeles every year. And so what's different about spring break is it's like, it's very community oriented. And then um, each booth, it's mainly artists run, there's some galleries too, but each booth has to have like some sort of intervention in it. So it's not just like white walls, you mm -hmm. know, with art hanging on them. Yeah. And so you come up with like, like a conceptual, you know, theme um, and, uh, you know, some sort of like intervention to your space. And then you, you know, show display artwork as well. And so we spent like a really long time putting together a proposal for this. And we're like, you know what, we're going to throw our hat in the ring. We don't expect to get chosen on our first time around. And what do you know? We got chosen. <laughs> so there you go. We're like, oh, no, we wanted this. <laughs> so um yeah so i'm really excited um the fair is february 15th through the 19th in culver city california in los angeles and um we have a really 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 wonderful um, group exhibition that we're putting on so it's um we're exhibiting um aaron coleman who is a fabulous printmaker lisette chavez who is another fabulous printmaker um benedict sure who is a really wonderful painter makes some monoprints as well ken nuremberg they are a really skilled painter and, and drawer, and they have a beautiful painting and some really wild drawings in the show. And um, then Melissa and myself. And so we have um, a six-person group show that is coming up really, really fast. And there's so many moving parts to this, and it's going to be okay. We're going to make it. Um, but <laughs> the, work, the work is just so strong, and we are so excited to be um, showing the work. And I am really excited to be um, representing two of my favorite printmakers, Aaron Coleman and Lizette Chavez, in the show. That's what's up, yo. That's how you do it, yo. That's that's the yes. networking right there. That's what I'm talking about. We was just talking about this. Yes, <laughs> <what's> <laughs> exactly. That's you awesome. got, I mean, but that's what's great about printmaking. Again, it's like and art in general. It's like you make friends, and you know, you you love your friends' work, and then it's like if you can make an opportunity happen, you know, for everybody, like you bring your friends along, you know, because. Because you believe in their work and you believe that it's good. You believe that it should be shown. And like um, John Hancock, who's another wonderful printmaker, um, it was a slightly different context, but he made the joke to me that like everybody should just be invited because we're all on the same sinking ship, like talking about <laughs> <laughs> being a printmaker. And I was like, yes, you know, we're all on the same sinking ship. So like, why not lift each other up? Life is hard enough. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the podcast. Definitely looking forward to seeing some of your work down at Print Austin and Print Santa Fe uh, this year. You. you have some tremendous work. I wish you nothing but luck. I might have to call you for some of them therapy sessions so I can deal with <laughs> some stuff. I can definitely refer you to somebody, <laughs> and I will be here as a friend to support you however you need. That's what's up. You know, I appreciate it. <laughs> Tell them where they can find you, how to get in contact with you. Sure. So I have a website. It's juliacurranprince.com, and that's C-U-R-R-A-N. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, julia.s.curran. And um, yeah, those are the two best ways. Send me an email, send me a message. Um, I'm always, always ready to chat. That's what's up. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. Thank you so much. This has been so lovely just talking with you and getting to know you and being excited about printmaking. And that's it. Another episode, special episode of Studio Noise in the bag. Yes, big shout out to Julia for all the good work she's doing. Shout out to Print Austin, Print Santa Fe. 
doing good things out there for the people. I love it. Print, print, print. We love it. <laughs> yes. And to all my printmakers out there, don't let the ink dry on your hands before you start getting to the next thing. We print makers, not print fakers. Get in that studio and make some noise, baby. Yes, it's the noise. Your boy Jay Barber will be back with you next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.